text that was just read, Mark chapter 16, sort of our, our main passage for tonight. kind of decided to do tonight a little bit different. It was kind of a last second deal um, to read all the accounts of the resurrection. Um, I guess this week as I've really thought about this story, and even last week as we, as we took a look at the cross, um, you know, it just kind of was continually like dawn, dawning on me that there are certain truths that we believe as Christians. Um, and if those truths were really true, and they are, okay, but if those truths were really true and our lives were thrown sort of behind the truth of it, it would actually change everything about the way we see the world. It would change everything about the way we live. It would change everything about the way we pursue this Christ, um, whom we talk so much about and we sing about. Um, and that's one of these truths tonight. Um, as Christians, we believe that Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, and that has all kinds of applications for our life. I was listening to this, um, this pastor who is at a church in Washington, D.C. that I kind of have a loose connection with. And he was talking about how um, he was reading um, a story to his son, like his, I think his three-year-old son. And he was reading this story to his son. It was a really engaging, powerful story. And his, son's, or his son stops him and says, hey, daddy, um, can, we, can we jump into books? And his dad was like, well, what do you mean can we jump into books? And apparently, like, on Dora the Explorer, they can actually jump into a book. Does anybody know about this? Or is... Apparently. Um, and, and his, basically what his son was wanting to know is, is, is there a way that we can, like, encounter these stories? Is there a way that we can participate? These stories that are so good and so powerful and so explosive, is, a way, is there a way we can kind of jump into those? Um, and, and his little boy was like, can, can we jump into books? And then he says, or like the true ones, the good ones, the, tr- the true ones, can we get into those? And his dad, who's a pastor, basically looks at him and says, yes, absolutely you can, especially the ones that are true. Um, and, and the story we have before us, the story of the resurrection, is a particular story in the story of Scripture that allows us to jump in and to participate. And, and I think this reality really like comes out in Mark's gospel. Um, Mark's gospel ends very strangely. Um, it ends the way it ends right here in chapter 16, 1 through 8. Now, in your Bibles, you have more text behind verse 8. Um, and that's good. That's fine. It's part of the tr- Christian tradition. It's in our Bibles. Study those. Read those. But they're not that part of Scripture after verse 8 of chapter 16 is not actually in sort of the earliest, earliest manuscripts. Which tells us that basically Mark, as far as we know, Mark intended his story of the gospel his story of the good news of Jesus, to actually end very suddenly and very abruptly at verse 8. Okay, that's sort of his literary sort of um, ending to his story of the good news of Jesus. And it just stops real suddenly. Just as suddenly as Mark's gospel begins, it just ends. And it's very strange. And it's kind of confusing. Um, and we read some of the other gospel accounts, the gospel of Matthew, just to draw out a couple things from the other gospel accounts. In the gospel of Matthew, one particular point of emphasis is that when Jesus was raised from the dead, a great cosmic upheaval of some kind happened. We're told there was an earthquake and an angel appears with bright lightning. This is kind of common language and common description of, of in the Old Testament when God arrives and shows up in the scene in a powerful way. 
So what we learn from Matthew's account is that, is that something powerful, cosmic, amazing has happened when Jesus was raised from the dead. And, he, and he's right. Um, we look at Luke's account. We, we read Luke's account. If you keep on reading, there's a conversation between Jesus, who's been raised, but these guys that he encounters on this road don't know it yet. And this conversation kind of happens about the cross and about the resurrection. And what we learn from Luke is that the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection, are sort of the culmination of the entire story of Scripture. Um, in John's account, if you heard John's account and listened to it closely, um, there's actually several things happening in John's story of the resurrection. First of all, you're, you've got these four sort of stories of belief and kind of conversion in a sense. Um, John and Peter show up at the tomb and they see that the tomb's empty. They see the grave clothes lying there and they believe instantly. Um, then, then you get the story of Mary Magdalene who encounters Jesus and she doesn't understand who Jesus is. And Jesus has to actually call her name, and then she knows. So for some people, there's like belief that comes immediately with this crazy reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then for other people, maybe it takes a little bit longer. They have to hear the voice of Jesus call their name. Um, Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of John that my sheep know my voice. And when I call them, they hear me. That's kind of what's happening in Mary's story. Um, and, then, and then you hear the other disciples. The other disciples are there. And, and we find out that they actually need Jesus to physically kind of show up in the room with them and show him, or show them his, his hands and his scars and his feet and his side. Um, so for some people, belief comes immediately. For other people, belief sort of needs a little bit of time, needs to hear God's voice calling. For some people, there needs to be more evidence. We hear all these like kind of conversion stories mixed in. And then in John's Gospel, if we read just a little bit further, we've told, blessed are the ones who will read this story who never saw any of these things. That's the story of us. And so all these things are happening in John's gospel. The story of new creations happening in John's gospel. This event's taking place in the garden. Um, Mary thinks that the risen Jesus is a gardener. The story of the scripture begins in a garden. It ends with the tree of life again in a garden in the middle of a city. So I've got these great, great cosmic scenes um, happening here um, of, 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 of the resurrection. But, but Mark's gospel is entirely different. It ends so abruptly. It's sudden. It's, it's crazy. And it's totally unexpected what happens. Um, so really what I want to do is just kind of make some observations based on this story um, and, and really just hopefully draw out some of the things that are sort of unexpected. Everything about this account is kind of upside down and crazy. Um, it has a lot of similar, similarities with the others, other accounts, but it just it stands out as distinct. Um, for example, um, we hear right away, and this is true of all the resurrection stories, but Mark draws an emphasis on this, that there, there are women who are the first witnesses to the resurrected Christ. This is true in all the gospel accounts. And immediately we hear that when Jesus has been raised from the dead, things are somehow crazy, they're upside down, because women are the first ones to, to see him. And you listen to that, you're like, well, what's wrong with girls seeing him first? Nothing um, at all. Um, other than in the ancient world, um, in a patriarchal kind of society like that, women could never be depended on, that was the line of thought, to be witnesses to some sort of important event. But the truth of the matter is that they, they were the first witnesses and the gospel writers weren't afraid to tell us that. Um, they, weren't, they weren't afraid to tell us that, that women were the first witnesses. And this is kind of an upside down kind of thing. Um, this is not the kind of thing that someone making up a story of, of someone being raised from the dead would want to say, hey, and by the way, women saw him first. That would have been sort of laughed at. Um, but it's, it's, it's really sort of powerful and amazing the way that women play such a significant role in salvation history. Um, so that's the first kind of upside down thing. Um, 
Another thing that's just a powerful part of this story. Um, If you look at verse 2. It says, And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. We hear in this story that the sun had risen. Mark wants us to know that the sun had risen already. In John's account, it was still dark. But Mark wants us to know that maybe they got there in the the dark, but but the sun had risen. A new day has been dawning. Um, Right before, in the death of Jesus, we hear about darkness covering over all the land because Jesus, God in the flesh, has died. Death rules. Death reigns. Last week, we talked about the death of Jesus. And how the death of Jesus is so strange that his ultimate moment of glory is for him to be humiliated, embarrassed, and killed. Um, We learn in the death of Jesus that darkness, that Satan, that evil, were able to, to, it seems, were able to beat and conquer Jesus. But in this resurrection story, we hear that it was early and the sun had risen. A new day is dawning. A new era in time has begun. The day of the old age, okay, when death and darkness and sin and evil reign and rule is officially now over. And a new day is dawning. The sun is shining through the darkness. Um, We live in sort of the beginning of a new week um, in the history of the world. Um, We live in the era of the resurrection. Our, Our God, our Jesus, our King is alive. A new day has dawned. Sin and death and darkness don't rule anymore. This is really good news, by the way. Um... And then, and then look at verses 3 and 4. In verses 3 and 4, these women, um, they're worried. Who will roll the stone for us? Who's going to roll it away? It's a heavy stone. But what we kind of come to find out is that they're not going to need to worry about having to move that stone because that stone has already been moved. Um, it's not so much that somebody's already gotten into that tomb. It's that someone, Jesus, has already gotten out of that tomb. Um, the stone is not going to be a concern for them because... The stone has been rolled away. And, and this language of the stone had been rolled back, this is kind of in, in, in the original language. It, it's particularly kind of fashion to tell us that this is the work of God who's done this. God has shown up on the scene and done something completely unexpected and surprising. He's the one who's rolled the stone away for his son who's been crucified to come out. Um, and, and if we look, they go in and look at verse 5. In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. They go in this tomb and they're scared. Um, this idea of a young man dressed in white, language of an angelic figure, messenger of some kind. And, and they're alarmed and they're scared. This is often what happens in the Bible when an angel, when a messenger of God shows up on the scene. People' immediate reaction is to be afraid and to become scared because God's doing something. God's shown up on the scene. And when God shows up on the scene... It's sometimes scary and frightening. And, and look at verse 6. He says to them, don't be alarmed. Well, I mean, what do you mean? How are they not supposed to be alarmed? There's an angel here talking to them. Their, their king, their king Jesus, who they've come to mourn and to anoint his body, the brokenness, the disillusionment, the, the doubt, the fear, um, the despair, the depression they've been feeling since he's been crucified. Um, all that is kind of in fresh in their minds and their hearts, and they go to anoint his body, but it apparently looks like somebody has even taken his body. Um, they've kind of done one last way of humiliating and embarrassing him by, by desecrating his dead body. And, and so how are they not supposed to be alarmed? This is crazy what's happening. But he tells them, don't be alarmed. Well, why shouldn't they be alarmed? And, and the, the man says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was crucified. In other words, you're looking for someone who's dead. You're looking for someone who's dead. And, and he goes on to say, he's actually not here. He has risen. So, so what this angel, what this messenger is here to say is that the person crucified, you shouldn't be looking for him among dead people. Well, what do you mean you shouldn't be looking for a crucified person among dead people? Because if someone is crucified, that's exactly where they ought to be, among dead people. But they're told they're actually looking in the wrong place because this crucified one, this dead one, has been, has been raised. Death could not hold him. I mean, in the words of a good friend of mine, he said that... Um, Death swallowed something up that death could not stomach, um, could not handle. And this was like a, a common way that the early church understood the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Satan, um, sort of ruling and reigning, decided that he would take Jesus as sort of his last step in conquering the world. The early church kind of understood it this way. And that, and that, that God offers up Jesus to Satan. And allow Satan to take him, to swallow him up, so to speak. But then at the resurrection, Satan realizes he's fooled. Death realizes that he's swallowed something that he can't stomach. And, and an early church father described it sort of like a fishing trip, basically. Jesus being the bait um, to catch Satan and to ultimately defeat him and confuse him and to turn his supposed victory on the cross upside down, to, to bait him and to trap him and to conquer him. Death can no longer... Um, hold Jesus. Um, he's been crucified, yes, but he's told he, he's not here. The women are told he's not here because he has been raised. And he's going somewhere. He's, he's going to go ahead and go to Galilee. Um, he's going to encounter the disciples there, just as he had said. And in verse 7, the, the women are told to go. They're given a job to do. And this is common in all the resurrection accounts. Um, in all the resurrection accounts, in Matthew's account, the disciples are told to go and spread this message and this good news to the nations. Um, in, in Luke's account, we're told again that they end up having a breakfast on a beach and they're commissioned to go out. And then the book of Acts follows and shows us exactly how they went out and did that. And then here, or, or then in the Gospel of John, they're told that, that Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on them and sends them out. And here we're told that the first witnesses are told to go and they're told to go and tell, to tell Peter. Um, to say that, that, that Jesus has gone out ahead, he's on, he's on the loose, he's, he's gone, and, and to go and tell the disciples that this is the case and this is true. And this is the moment when you think that they would do that, okay? That we'd get a little line to say, yeah, and, then, and there they went, and they did that. And, and that kind of account is added later um, in the parts after verse 8. But, but right here we're told that they actually didn't do that at first because they're scared. And they run away and they panic and they freak out. And this is interesting language in verse 8. They went out, they fled. Trembling, astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to no one, for they were afraid. So Mark's gospel ends in this sort of crazy, unexpected, upside-down kind of way. That the first witnesses, his, his literary account sort of ends, that the first witnesses take off running and screaming, and they're scared. And this is interesting, because throughout Mark's gospel, when people encounter Jesus... And when people especially encounter the power of Jesus, this is how they react. 
They become astonished. They become dumbfounded. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to make of it. It's, it's a sort of fear. It's a trembling kind of fear. Not a fear that, that, that they're going to be hurt or that... It, it, there's times in the Bible where people scream out in terror. Um, like, there's a time where it says that the judgment of God will come and people will scream and be afraid, but they'll want rocks to fall on them because they'll be so afraid of God's judgment. Okay? But this is not that kind of fear. This is the kind of fear that says... Oh my gosh, something inter- like incredibly important has just happened. Something explosively um, upside down, turning everything upside down. We're not sure what the make of it has happened. It's this kind of like fear that's like a kind of a good panicky kind of fear, but still kind of afraid. Y'all, have you ever felt this way before? This is kind of what's happening right here. Um, when Mandy and I had our baby about a month ago, I knew this kind of fear, okay? It was like this joyful, scared, panic, want to throw up, really excited, really scared, feeling like you're going to die, but you're think you might live and you're not sure what to do and then you just, that's what it was they run out they're panicked and they're scared because something so cataclysmically important has just exploded and, and just they, they don't know what to do and, and they're right in that because if a dead man has crawled out of his tomb then something crazy has happened in the world um Dead people stay dead. Crucified, embarrassed, humiliated people stay crucified, buried, dead, rotting, embarrassed. But if a dead man has come out of his tomb and he's God, he's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords, then nothing can ever be the same again. The world as you know it and as I know it and as they knew it is not the world that they actually live in. There's a whole different thing that's happened. Something's been turned upside down. Um, you know, it's a famous saying that the only things sure in life are death and taxes. Um, the government's going to take your money and people are going to die. And people do die. But what the resurrection tells us is death is actually not the final word on anything actually anymore. It might seem like it is, but it's not. And this is the ultimate message of the resurrection. The ultimate message of the resurrection is that God in Christ has conquered death, has beaten death. Um, all, all the things that, that, all these symptoms of the curse that, you know, we've, we've read in the story of Scripture how sin has gripped the world and brokenness abounds. What the resurrection says is that's actually not the case anymore. Um, and, and, it's, and it's interesting the way this ends that these first witnesses, they're told to go and proclaim this message. And at first they run and they're, they're scared and they flee away. And I think that's hap- that happens because... Mark, okay, wants to invite the reader in. He wants to look at you and me and say, and kind of leave it open-ended and say, what are you going to do with this Jesus who's been raised? These women are scared and they're panicked. They, they've gone out. They don't know what to do because if a man's crawled out of the grave, then, then holy cow, something crazy's happened in the world. And, and it's open-ended to invite us to say, how are we going to sort of jump into that story? What are we going to do with this message? Are we going to proclaim it? Are we going to spend our lives living the reality of it out? He invites it in. It's like a good story that leaves it sort of open-ended and makes you figure out what you're supposed to do with it. That's sort of what the story of the resurrection does. Um, as, as one author that I really like puts it, we're invited, because of the resurrection, because Christ has been raised from the dead, we're invited to practice resurrection now. We're invited to live out new, resurrected lives. And it's like, well, what does that mean, you know? What would that actually mean? Um, to let this new life that's ours in Christ, like, work its way out in our lives. To let it influence everything about us. 
Um, to let the resurrection be the answer to our questions. The fact that Christ has been raised from the dead, and that doesn't answer things neatly, but it tells us that we have a, a response, we have a resource, we have hope, no matter what happens, where there's death and defeat, and how there's triumph, and we have comfort for our struggles if Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, we can encounter this God who does these unexpected, upside-down, surprising, bringing new life where death was kind of things. This is the God we serve. Um, so, so I don't, I don't really know where exactly you guys in the room, and, and I'm struggling even for myself to really make sense of what I'm supposed to do with this, how I'm supposed to let this power of the resurrection affect my life. Um, I don't know where you need to rejoice in the victory of Jesus tonight. Um, I don't know where you need to know that death has been defeated, that sin, sin's power has been canceled, um, that... That death is not the final word. That evil actually doesn't rule and reign. That the clock is actually ticking on things like cancer and, and, and divorce and broken relationships. I mean, all these things are slowly but surely dying away because Christ has been raised from the dead. Death itself, evil, Satan, sin, all of that is eventually sort of running out of time because Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, and, and all these things, like cancer and divorce and broken relationships and rape and murder and all these bad, terrible, violent things we see in our world, um, we just have to take a step out there and leap and say that those things actually don't run our world in the way that it seems like they do. Um, everything that's fractured and broken, our world actually doesn't have any more authority because Christ has been raised from the dead. A new day's dawned. Um, and I know that life is hard, and that doesn't make it any easier. And those stresses and anxieties that are on your faces, even as I talk to you right now, I can tell that you guys are worn down, and you're tired, and you're stressed. And what you need to know is those things that bother you, and that break you, and that hurt you, that those things have been beaten because Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, the end is actually not the end, um, because Christ has been raised from the dead. Um, Andy Byers, my previous UCF boss, um, some of you guys know Andy, some of you don't. Um, he wrote this little thing about the resurrection and posted it on his blog. I just wanted to read it for you just as a way to sort of close. The disillusionment of that first Holy Week, um, the disillusionment of Holy Week when, when Jesus was crucified and, and death looked like it had won. Um, the disillusionment of that first Holy Week has been met with the abrupt explosion of resurrection. To prepare for Easter, let us have our cynicism interrupted by a man who was once dead. And if a dead man, capital M, imposes himself onto our disillusionment, something is happening. When a Messiah vacates his tomb, something's to stir. Something new and something wild. Something that's against the establishment. It's against death's establishment. At the voice of the resurrected Lord, the cosmic superstructure of evil detects a virus in its system. A wrench has been tossed into its machinery. The foundations of evil begin to pop and explode. It's, it's time to plug up the leak, to contain the fire, to reseal any tombs. Time for the chaos itself to actually try to panic. Time for Satan to go absolutely berserk. Resurrection is God shaking his clenched fist in death's face. Resurrection is God's whispering death threats in death's very ears. 
The open tomb of Jesus is a hole in the system that can never be patched, defying the persistence of all that breaks us and hurts us and makes us cynical. Our recreating king has climbed up out of his grave, so let's keep an eye on that horizon. He's out there. He's loose. He's at large. He's roaming free. And he's returning. We serve a God who was crucified. But this God was raised from the dead. And that offers you all kinds of hope. So I just want to encourage you guys, just tonight, it's so easy to think about resurrection. And if you've grown up in churches, you hear the resurrection story, you you attend an Easter service, and, and somehow it loses its sort of power in our lives. We Just like the message of the cross, we tend to get over it and want to move on to the next thing. There is no other thing. Um, it is the climax of the biblical story, both the cross and the resurrection. The biblical story treats as two sides of one kind of same event, um, that redemption and hope and our God has, has conquered, and redemption and hope now are um, the ultimate realities of the universe. So Christ has been raised from the dead. So that's what we're here to celebrate tonight. I want to encourage you guys to think hard and take a second right now to think, where do you need to know that death's been defeated, that all the things that break you and hurt you um, have been annihilated and finished? Um, where, where do you need to apply the, the reality of the resurrection? Where do you need to practice resurrection? Where do we need to be a community of people who live out the reality of the resurrection in our lives? Um, let's take a second, let's dwell on that, let's think about that, and let's pray. I'm going to ask God to show us. Lord, so that's our prayer. Um, you've been raised from the dead. God, and we just admit that we do not even have the first sort of idea as to what that actually means. It's so mysterious. These accounts just explode with such mystery, but energy and power, Lord, they're so quick and abrupt. Lord, they leave us so open-ended. So we pray that your spirit would apply and would, and would take this, this reality that you're alive, that you live. Lord, that you would apply right directly where we need it, God. That your spirit would, would give us hope exactly where we have despair. And Lord, would give us victory exactly where we feel defeat. Lord, would give us comfort where we hurt. Lord, would give us peace where we have anxiety. Lord, I pray that we would know at the end of the day the ultimate real reality of the universe is our God who is king, who lives and reigns. And we pray that you'd help us in this, Lord. Help us practice resurrection as a community. pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.